let's move on to another priesthood line message. I remind you, there is a personal line of communication, which we're trying to increase. How do I receive more from Heavenly Father? And this weekend is a great example of why we need a priesthood line. We're all going to kind of take our bearings. We're all going to sit back and say, okay, what is he saying to all of us? What is the Lord saying to all of us through our appointed leaders? And so there's a priesthood line, and they are interconnected. There is a significant connection between them. Our adherence to the revelation we receive, if we obey the revelation we receive, it actually opens the prophet's mouth. What closes a prophet's mouth is us. We're the only people. The world cannot shut his mouth. But if we don't obey what's coming through our personal line, it will affect how much flows to him in the priesthood line. So we really do have a connection to the priesthood line, and it has a connection to us. Taking advantage of priesthood line tools opens the door to more personal revelation. And that's kind of been our focus for the last couple of classes, is how do I receive more personal line communication through tools given to me by the priesthood line. One of them, I wanted to focus on three. (laughs) Three priesthood line tools that increase personal revelation. The first one was scripture. And there are wonderful, powerful promises that say, if you will take more, be more diligent, more intentional, more connected to the scriptures, it will increase personal revelation. The mighty works increase. And then we've spent the last several classes talking about temple. If you will attend the temple, be worthy of the temple, honorably hold a name and a standing in the temple, it increases personal revelation. So today I want to talk about prophet. Scripture, temple, prophet. And when I really, when I say the word rod of iron, the Word of God, the rod of iron, aren't those kind of what we're talking about? Personal revelation is the rod of iron. Scripture is the rod of iron. Temple is the rod of iron. Prophet is the rod of iron. But I want to focus on getting more personal revelation because of what I do with the words of prophets. Let me just testify up front. I I bear you my solemn testimony that one of the avenues to have more revelation in your life is to follow the prophet. And I don't know of a better way to illustrate that than than, uh, walking you through what Jesus did to illustrate it. Now, remember, sometimes (coughs) we go too far if we take it literally. So this we need to be careful with today. And I'm going to see if I can point that out as we go. Don't take this too literally. He was trying to make a point. Notice the point he's making. I want to turn to 3 Nephi chapter 19. We're going to pretty much follow 3 Nephi chapter 19. While he's here, he makes a very, very powerful point. All right, so 3 Nephi, Book of Mormon, 3 Nephi 19. 
Okay, among the, the three visits, Jesus comes to America three times. He comes, leaves, comes, leaves, comes, leaves. So this is one of his, one of his visits. And I think he wants to just powerfully teach the connection between personal revelation and his servants. So here's what we need to do. Now, I wish my TV were working. I'd pull it up on the TV. <clears throat> Let's go to verse 4. It came to pass on the morrow when the multitude was gathered together. Behold, Nephi and his brother, whom he had raised from the dead, whose name was Timothy, and also his son, whose name was Jonas, and Methoni, and Methaniah, his brother, and Cumin, and Cumanai. I'm not going to say all these words. You can read them. Now, these were the names of the disciples whom Jesus had chosen. And it came to pass that they. So here we have one group of people that's going to be referred to as they, and they are the disciples. So in my scriptures, everything that's a they or a them that refers to the disciples, I put in red. So the disciples is one antecedent. Now at the very end of verse 4, it says, It came to pass that they went forth and stood in the midst of the multitude. Now there's the other. Now sometimes the they here is going to be the multitude. And when they is the multitude, I put them in yellow. Now let me just give you an idea so you can see what my scriptures look like. Ashley, you can see. Mm -hmm. the, the disciples are all in red. See that? Every time the they is a disciple, it's in red. Every time the they is a multitude, it's in yellow. It's almost critical to do that to get the point. Because otherwise, if you do a they and you don't pinpoint it back to who it is, you're going to miss, I think, this powerful message. So I wish I had my TV working. I can show you on the big screen. But bear with me. We'll do these together. Now, <clears throat> let's do verse 5. Notice it has two theys. And let's see if we can distinguish disciples or multitude. Verse 5. Behold, the multitude was so great that they did cause that they should separate into 12 bodies. How would you distinguish those? The multitude was so great that they, the disciples, caused that they, the multitude, should separate into 12 bodies. Do you see how confusing this is going to be? There's going to be a whole lot of they's if we don't distinguish them. Now, the disciples are also going to split into 12, and each disciple is going to teach one of the groups of 12. Okay, We don't have a big tabernacle that we can fit into. We don't have microphones. This is way back then, and so they've split the multitude into 12, and they split the disciples into 12. <laughs> Do you see how it's going to work? Now, verse 8. Let me just give what is one of my favorite definitions of an apostle or in this case, a disciple. These 12 will be called disciples because how many quorums of the 12 do you have on the planet? Only one. And where is the quorum of the 12 at this time? In Jerusalem. Peter is the chief key holder on this planet. 
And so he can't have 12 apostles in America and 12 apostles in Jerusalem. So these are called the 12 disciples, but they act as if they're apostles. Verse 8 has my, one of my favorite definitions of an apostle. And when they had ministered, those same words which Jesus had spoken, nothing varying from the words which Jesus had spoken. Now, I would testify this weekend, what we're going to hear from the disciples of Christ are the very words that he gave to them. Can I just give you an example of that? Elder Anderson once said, and I was so impressed when I heard him say this. On one occasion, some years before my call as a general authority, I conducted a meeting presided over by one of the apostles. After the meeting, I asked him about his state conference talks. Do you prepare something specific for each state conference? I asked. He replied that generally he did not, but relied upon the promptings received just prior to and during the conference. But then he added, my general conference talk is very different. I will normally go through 12 to 15 drafts to be certain that it is what the Lord would have me say. Many times since then, I have asked myself, if an apostle will go through 12 to 15 drafts, is it pleasing to the Lord if I listen to or read this message one or two times? I don't think so. But why the 15 drafts? Why would an apostle go through 15 drafts? He wants to make sure what? Do you see it? I want to make sure I am delivering the words which Jesus has spoken, nothing varying from the words which Jesus has spoken. Now, in the next few verses, we're going to get a whole lot of these, but I want to jump to verse 13. Allow me to kind of make a dramatic point. Imagine if General Conference started like this. Imagine we're sitting in the conference tent center, and one they is the audience. We're the audience. We're the multitude that's watching. The other they are the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and First Presidency right there on that stand. So they and they, right? So imagine this. Let's start in verse 11. It came to pass that Nephi went down to, into the water and was baptized. Now, we've gone from law of Moses to law of Christ, and so we're going to rebaptize everyone. It's just kind of like come into the new way. So Nephi, who was clearly baptized before, is being baptized again. And he came up out of the water and began to baptize. Now, I, I'm going to have you do this one. Who is the all those in verse 12? Who did Nephi baptize? He baptized all those whom Jesus had chosen. Who did Nephi baptize? Ashley? The 12. Now again, this is where I'm warning you not to take this too far. He is not dissing us. He is not neglecting us. He's trying to make a point. But Nephi did not baptize the multitude. Not yet. 
He baptized the twelve. So the multitude watched the twelve baptized. So here's what I'm going to do. Here are the twelve, and here is the multitude. Now, I'm going to list what just happened to the twelve. First, the twelve was baptized. Imagine if general conference started by watching the first presidency in Corma 12 be baptized. So we watch them baptized. Now we're not baptized. We watch them be baptized. Now once they got baptized, verse 30 or 4, no, sorry, verse 13. Sorry, I need my glasses. Verse 13, after the 12 were baptized, it came to pass that when they, meaning the 12, were all baptized and had come up out of the water. Now, I don't know how the multitude knew this. I'd love to know the rest, but for some reason, they knew that something special had happened. What did they know in the rest of verse 13? What did the multitude know had happened? The Holy Ghost did fall upon them and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So that we what, imagine if General Conference started by watching the 12 be baptized. And then in some way that was obvious to us, we knew that they were filled with the Holy Ghost. We watched it. We watched them. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, verse 14, I would love General Conference to start this way. Tell me what happens in verse 14. We've got to break it into two pieces. What's the first piece? Okay, imagine, imagine watching General Conference. So the, the, the audience comes in, the multitude comes in, and before General Conference starts, Fire comes down and encircles the first presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Would you pay a little bit more attention at General Conference if that happened? If as we're waiting for it to start, fire came down. Fire came down and encircles the Twelve. I'd pay attention. I'd be like, okay, I'm ready to hear from them. They've been cleansed. They've been filled with the Holy Ghost. And fire encircles them. And then the rest of verse 14, tell me what we see. What do we, the multitude, see inside that fire? End of verse 14, what do we see? Angels. What if Nephi's there? What if Alma the Younger is there? What if we saw Alma the Younger whispering into Russell Nelson's ear? What if we saw all the prophets of all the past, all the angels, going over the notes of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles? Would you pay attention more at General Conference if you saw angels working with the Twelve, whispering to them, Maybe pointing out something in their talk they need to alter. Would you pay attention if you saw angels? Not angel. I'm going to make that plural. Do you see how this is getting pretty intense here? 
Now verse 15, tell me what's missing here. What do we need? Verse 15. In the midst of that fire. Now we know they've been baptized. We know they've been filled with the Holy Ghost. We know the angels are coming. Fire encircles them. And then who do we see in that fire? Now Jesus comes. Now what if General Conference started with the Savior putting his arm around Russell Nelson? What if he were standing next to Russell Nelson? Would you pay a little bit more attention when Russell Nelson went to the podium and spoke? Do you see what the Savior's doing? He's making a point here, isn't he? Now, is the Savior with the multitude? Again, he's not trying to diminish us yet. That's not the point. The point is he's making a message. He will be with the multitude, and he's going to tell us how to get all those things. But right now, he is with the 12. He is encircling them with fire. Angels are speaking to them. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. Not the multitude, but the 12. You get the point? Now, as soon as Jesus comes, verse 16, it came to pass that he spake unto the multitude and commanded them that they, those are yellow, that's multitude. He commanded the multitude to kneel. And they kneeled. And then he prays. Now listen very carefully to his prayer. I just wish I could shout this prayer from the rooftops, especially this time of year, right as we go into general conference. Ready? Father, I thank thee that thou hast given the Holy Ghost unto these whom I have chosen. So he recognizes that they are filled with the Holy Ghost. Thank you for giving them the Holy Ghost, Father. I thank thee that thou hast given the Holy Ghost to these whom I have chosen, and it is because of their belief in me that I have chosen them out of the world. All of those are disciple thems, right? All right, now listen to verse 21. Listen carefully to 21. Now he prays for the multitude. And he says something very powerful. Father, I pray thee that thou wilt give the Holy Ghost unto all them that shall believe in their words. We got to clarify the theirs here and the thems. Who is Jesus praying will have the Holy Ghost? Give the Holy Ghost unto all them. Ashley, the multitude, you and I, give the Holy Ghost to them if they believe in their words. Who's the there? And that verse is the message. They have the Holy Ghost. They have been given the Holy Ghost because of their faith in him. They have the Holy Ghost. Now, do you want it? Do you want the Holy Ghost? Then what Jesus is saying is, you can have it if you listen to their words, if you believe in their words. There's the system. 
Jesus says, I will speak to them. I will fill them with the Holy Ghost and you can have it. You can have everything that they have if you will believe in their words. I just, this is where the music needs to crescendo and big point is made. Your personal revelation will dramatically increase if you believe in the words of his servants. If you listen to and believe and live, then you get the Holy Ghost. Boy, that's just powerful. Now, let me show you another one. I want to jump to verse 25, just kind of a side note in 25. This whole chapter is wonderful, but we don't have time for the whole chapter. When Russell Nelson stands up to speak, look at verse 25 and tell me what Jesus is doing behind him. This would make a humongous impact on me. What is Jesus doing as Russell Nelson is speaking? He's smiling. Tell me, would you pay attention in conference? Would you pay more attention in conference if you could see Jesus smiling while Russell Nelson was speaking? Tell me what that would mean to you. To watch the Savior smile when Dieter Uchtdorf stands up and starts to speak. When his servants speak, his countenance did smile upon them. Now notice what happens, verse 25. What happens to them in verse 25? We're going to add one more list here. So they've been baptized, they've been filled with the Holy Ghost, fire comes around, angels, Jesus. In verse 25, give me the next one. What does the multitude notice? And again, what impact would it make if this happened in our general conference? Read verse 25. As Jesus smiles upon them, they what? They glow, they start to shine. They were as white as the countenances and also the garments of Jesus. They just start to glow. They shine. Now, would you pay more attention at General Conference if you actually saw that? If you saw them start to glow and shine. What if when they came to the podium to speak, there was just this brilliant light that came out of them? Would you pay attention to what they said? Do you see what the Savior's doing here? He purified them. He filled them with the Holy Ghost. He's speaking to them. He's pleased with them. And now he purifies them. 
He purifies the 12. Now notice he prays again. Two prayers, very significant that he prays again. So I want to point, uh, I want to talk about his next prayer. Starting in verse 28 is his next prayer. Notice verse 27, he prayed again unto the Father saying, so here's his next prayer. So what? Well, we should, we should, I need to write this. I need to make sure this is on the board. So the 12, the multitude, will have the Holy Ghost. He promises the Holy Ghost to all those who believe on the words of the 12. So they have the Holy Ghost, and if you believe on their words, you'll have it. Now, he just purified them. I need to put that word up here. They were purified. He just purified the 12, and they start to glow. And now he prays, verse 28. Now listen carefully. <clears throat> Father, I thank thee that thou hast purified those whom I have chosen. Father, I thank thee that thou hast purified the twelve, and in our day the first presidency, because of their faith. And I pray for them, and also for them who shall believe on their words. Help me with the antecedents here. You yell them out. Let's start over. Father, I thank thee that thou hast purified those whom I have chosen. What color is that? Twelve. Because of their twelve faith. And I pray for them. Twelve. And also for them. Who's that one? Multitude who shall believe on their 12 words. Now what happens if, if I, if I believe on their words, that they, meaning the multitude, may be purified in me through faith on their words, 12, the disciples, even as they, disciples, are purified in me. Do you hear what Jesus just prayed? I just feel like I need to jump up and down and scream this from the rooftops. Father, thank you for purifying the, the disciples. Thank you for purifying the ones I have called into the Quorum of the Twelve and First Presidency. Thank you, Father, for purifying them. I pray for them. I pray for the first presidency. I pray for the Quorum of the Twelve. And also, I pray for them who shall believe on their words that they may be purified in me through faith on their words. Boy, did you, did you hear it? Do you have an ear to hear? Did you hear what Jesus just said? Ashley, tell me what you heard. They have been purified. Now, do you want to be purified? Believe their words. They have the Holy Ghost. Do you want the Holy Ghost? Believe their words.
It's really simple. If I want the Holy Ghost, and if I want to be purified, the tool for doing that is to believe the words of His servants. I can be purified the way they've been purified if I will believe their words. In other words, going back to this diagram, what did he just say? We will receive through the personal line if we receive what they have received through the priesthood line. What then is the role of prophets, seers, and revelators in our day? I testify that the Lord's servants, the Lord's chosen servants, are a key to open a door. If we hear, we open a door. Now, do I know they're human and do they make mistakes? Yes. Do I expect them to all be perfect and to never do anything that needs to be corrected or adjusted? Do I expect them not to be human? Do I expect them to not learn and grow and advance? I, expect, I know they're going to be imperfect. I know they are mortal people and I grant them the same process that I, have, I claim. I love how Joseph Smith said it one day. Because boy, people expect Joseph to be perfect. People are bothered by any mistake they perceive that Joseph Smith made. But I love what he said. Come on, if we have an internet connection. Maybe that's what my problem is. Okay, let me switch over. Someone was writing what Joseph Smith said. He said he was but a man, and they must not expect him to be perfect. If they expected perfection from him, he should expect it from them. But if they would bear with his infirmities and the infirmities of the brethren, he would likewise bear with their infirmities. It is unfair to say, I don't, no one expects me to be perfect. It is unfair to claim that I don't, I, I get some leeway. Mortality grants me leeway. This, this probationary state grants me leeway to make mistakes and learn. Don't we all claim that? I claim that. Do you claim that, Ashley? Do you guys claim that? Do you claim the right to make a mistake and learn from it? I claim that right. I know I'm not going to be perfect, and I know I'm going to get better, and I'm going to learn, and I'm going to grow it is unfair, it is hypocritical then to claim that for ourselves and not grant that to other humans, including the humans that are his servants. Becoming a prophet doesn't make you superhuman. It makes you responsible 
but you're still a, you're still a human. So many people are rejecting the Quorum of the Twelve, the First Presidency, because they're human. They are allowed to learn and to grow and to make mistakes. But I testify, they are receiving words from Him. And if we want the Holy Ghost, if we want to be purified, we have to receive their words. We have to believe what they say. Therefore, General Conference is very significant to me. General Conference is him speaking through his servants. And what I do with those words, what I do with the words that come to his servants, determine whether or not I am filled with the Holy Ghost and whether or not I'm purified. Jesus wants me to have every blessing he gives them. But there is a message in this chapter that if you want to be filled, if you want to be purified, believe in their words. I would invite you this weekend to take a notebook or something, just have something where you write down things you hear that you need to work on. You guys don't remember Spencer W. Kimball, but man, he was a wonderful prophet. Uh, He was my prophet. I adored Spencer W. Kimball. He meant the world to me. He died when I was 16, and it just about broke my heart. I vividly remember. you want to know how impressive it was? I remember him saying this. Um, at the, you know how the prophet kind of closes the general conference? The prophet is usually the last speaker, and then we sing and we're done. At the very end of the October conference one time, Spencer W. Kimball stood up and said, we hope that the leaders and the members of the church who have attended and listened to the conference have been inspired and uplifted. We hope you have made copious notes of the thoughts that have come to your mind as the brethren have addressed you. Many helpful thoughts have been given for the perfection of our own lives, and that, of course, is the basic reason for our coming. Now the prophet said, while sitting here, I have made up my mind that when I go home from this conference this night, there are many, many areas in my life that I can perfect. I have made a mental list of them, and I expect to go to work on them as soon as we get through with the conference. The prophet heard things that he needed to work on. And I believe that's the message. I'm going to hear things I need to work on. I've learned a little thing. I don't need to write down summaries. I don't need to keep a summary. I'll have their talks in three days. I don't need to write down notes or summaries. What I need to write down is what I hear that I need to do. It might be related to what they're talking about. It might be a completely different thought. Listening to one of them, I might receive a thought. And if I act on those thoughts, if I believe and change and work, 
That's when my revelation flows. The words of his servants are at a different level than every other speaker that I hear. I testify to all of you, the way to increase personal revelation is to live more fully the words of our leaders. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.